0: Good morning, Hayden Bible Church. Isn't this just the most wonderful gift that we could ever have this morning? Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your word. Lord, we love to sing it. We love to meditate on it. We love to think about it. We love to read it. We love that your spirit brings it to life and feeds our souls and makes us rejoice. Thank you for each one of these saints that wrote these beautiful songs from it. Thank you, Lord, today that we can receive it richly implanted, deep. Lord, thank you that your word cuts deep into the deep recesses, even To the joints and marrow, Lord, thank you that it goes deep within us and discerns us. We're grateful that we get to be together, Lord. Thank you that this is a blessing to come together and even have Bibles to open. And Lord, today we pray that you're pleased and blessed by the time. Um, We pray that you would just strengthen all the saints, especially the Ukraine saints, Lord, that are suffering. Lord, help them be bold to proclaim that gospel, even in the midst of really miserable circumstances. We love you, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen. Let's open our Bibles today to Matthew 22. Beginning in verse 1. Let's just open our hearts to the word of God As I read from this passage, Matthew 22, verse 1, Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent out his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast, and they were unwilling to come. Again, he sent out other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fattened livestock are all butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went on their way, one to his farm, his own farm, another to his business, and the rest seized his slaves and mistreated them and killed them. But the king was enraged and he sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and set their city on fire. Then he said to his slaves, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main highways, and as many as you find there, invite to the wedding feast. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered together all they found, both evil and good, and the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. But when the king came came in to look over the dinner guests, he saw a man there who was not dressed in wedding clothes. He said to him, friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. I was thinking about um, traveling this week. Does anybody like to travel what kind of a packer are you when you travel are you one of those people that takes everything like five or six suitcases or are you one of the the lean and mean machines that uh travel i was i was thinking about my days as a engineer and uh, <clears throat> we were Uh, In my engineering firm, we were competing against these other firms for a big project. It was a big big bridge project down in southeast Idaho, kind of near Pocatello. And, And my very good friend Greg Holder and I, we were trying to work out the most efficient design, and we were trying to come up with the best schedule, for the design, completion of the design and we were strategizing every step and we wanted to make sure that we didn't overstaff the project or understaff the project because we wanted to have innovative solutions but at the same time be really economical and so as part of our marketing strategy we decided hey let's we we can need to fly down to pocatello to this bridge project and make sure that we visit the site so that we have insight to the project and so there was a, a flight down to boise And then there was another flight across the south half of Idaho into Pocatello in an airplane that seemed like a glorified straw, by the way. Uh, It was the weirdest airplane I've ever been in. But I used to pride myself into being the the lightest packer of anybody that I would travel with. and In fact, I think I actually still do pride myself in that. Uh, But my friend Greg, on the other hand... While I was carrying one small carry-on, he had multiple suitcases, like great big ones. And, and I re- <clears throat> remember kind of just standing back and shaking my head privately, you know, thinking, I wonder if we'll ever even get all this stuff to Pocatello. I didn't have any idea what, we ha- what he had in there. And, it, and of course, it was about this time of year. Uh, The weather was cold like we had last week, like about zero, maybe to five degrees. And after we arrived in Pocatello, we stayed the night in a hotel that night. And the next morning, we had decided that we were going to meet each other downstairs for breakfast. And just like always, I came downstairs just like this. I had my dress shoes on and my dress socks, uh, my dress pants, and I had a dress shirt. And, of course, I had a trusty black polar fleece vest, which is... (laughs) the perfect article of clothing. I came down to the restaurant and I saw Greg at the table and I was shocked. I realized when I saw him why he bought all the, brought all these suitcases with him. He had pack boots on. He had layers and layers of winter clothing and multiple puffer jackets and vests. He had ski gloves and a really warm hat that looked like he was from the Ukraine. Uh, I had a polar fleece vest on. (laughs) I realized that when I showed up to the project that it would have been wise for me to ask if we were just going to drive around in a car with the heater on like we always do and shoot photos out the window instead of tromping around the snow for three or four hours in five-degree weather where the wind never stopped blowing and dress shoes designed to keep your feet cool. Why would, why would you need traction in an office anyway, I would think. <laughs> I was grossly underdressed. My mouth was frozen shut, and I was like speechless the whole time, shivering. I was so satisfied with myself and my minimalist lug- luggage and I, until I really understood what reality was, and I... Turns out I needed a way more practical outfit on that trip. In our passage this morning, in Matthew 22, we're going to learn of another man, grossly underdressed, speechless as well. If you look up to Matthew 21, verse 23, it appears that Jesus is in the temple speaking to the chief priests and the elders of the people, leaders in Judaism, and Immediately above our passage, after Jesus spoke with them about the parable about the vineyard, in Matthew 21, 45, Matthew says that when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they understood that he was speaking about them. Jesus was speaking about them. So in verse 1 of Matthew 22, Jesus spoke to them again in parables. Jesus' parables, if you're familiar with them, they seem to serve multiple purposes, and they seem to produce different results in different type of people. For people in a right relationship with God, they seem to be kind of an encouragement to dig deeper, and they serve as like a profound or even encouraging truth with wonderful imagery that we all, with hearts attuned to Christ, love to see. But for others, especially people... Outside of that right relationship with God, for instance, those who refuse to honor Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as Messiah, like the chief priests and the Pharisees and the elders, they seem to be incriminatory. They incriminate and condemn and and also cause inflammatory interactions because the people's hearts are dark. and They're dead in their trespasses and sins. In John 9, Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, so that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. In saving some, there's a corresponding condemnation of others. And the others in our passage appeared to be the unfaithful leaders of Israel. Look back at verses 2 and 3 in our parable in Matthew 22. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son, and he sent out his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast, and they were unwilling to come. Here Jesus is speaking to the most learned religious people in town who think they can see, but he's going to demonstrate to them that they are in fact totally blind. He begins by telling the purpose of the parable. He says the kingdom of heaven may be compared to the, in a sense, the kingdom of heaven, the whole, is, is the whole gospel of Matthew is a proclamation of the king and his kingdom. The very rule and authority and governance of heaven. Remember earthly, earlier in Matthew uh, 3, John the Baptist said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In Matthew 4, Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. In Matthew 12, Jesus says, If I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. The king over all creation himself was standing on earth he was telling his people what his kingdom is like. What it can be compared to so that, so that Israel's unfaithful leaders and you and I can understand. By the way, this is the same victorious kingdom that Daniel said would never be destroyed. It will not pass away. A kingdom that will crush and put to an to, to the, the end all other kingdoms, but it itself will endure forever. Here in verse... He says the kingdom of heaven may be compared to. Here's what it's like, he says. It's like a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. A king, the, the one with all authority, a king who intends to honor his son is giving a big feast Let's notice here this morning as a foundational truth in this parable before we really get deep into it, something that's going to flavor our accurate understanding of what's happening is that the king's son will be honored. The king's son will be honored. For the appropriate honor to be given in the context of Jesus' day, a feast like this would be a many-day celebration. It would be recognized by everyone in the kingdom. This is a big deal for the nation. The invitation list had been carefully developed. The text says that they had been invited. So there's an implication of commitment. Maybe we might even call it an RSVP today. And because there wasn't texting or email in those days or Facebook posts, the, the king in the parable actually sent his slaves To call those who had been invited to the wedding. And they were unwilling to come. They refused to come. They reneged on their commitment to be at this feast, the feast honoring the king's son. This wedding feast parable directed at the leaders of Israel is a stunning picture of the call of the nation Israel into fellowship with God. In Deuteronomy 7 verse 8, Moses said to them, Because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers, the Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Later in Hosea 11 the prophet looks back and says to the nation Israel when Israel was a child I loved him and I called and out of Egypt I called my son Many called even a nation called into a covenant relationship with their God yet Hosea continues and says the more they were called the more they went astray They kept sacrificing to the Baals and and burning offerings to idols. Back in Matthew, in the chapter just following our passage, in Matthew 23, Jesus is standing in the temple and he cries out saying, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets, the slaves or the messengers, who kills the prophets and stones those sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. Unbelieving Israel, the nation under the Mosaic covenant, were always going astray in their hearts, breaking the commitments of their covenant and refusing to maintain fellowship with God. And throughout their history, their leaders were held culpable for their unfaithfulness right up to the day that Jesus is standing in the temple. God had sent his slaves, the prophets like Hosea and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, time after time to call them to the feast, so to speak. Yet they were unwilling. Back to our passage, verse 4. Again, the king, he sent out other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Behold, I prepared my dinner, my oxen, and my fattened livestock are all butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. Come and honor my son. Come and celebrate your Messiah. Come and celebrate your true David, the king of all glory. Come, everything is prepared. The feast is ready, the king said. Yet in their hearts, they refused to come. They Later in the gospel narratives, they even said, we have no king but Caesar. We're not interested. In verses 5 and 6, in rebellious apathy, they paid no attention and went on their way, went to his own farm and and another to his business, and the rest seized his slaves and mistreated them and killed them. Murder. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. After centuries of unfaithfulness, centuries of warnings, prophet after prophet of pending judgment because of their unfaithfulness, the judgment that the law in Deuteronomy and other Torah writings clearly laid out as repercussions for disobedience to the covenant. Judgment was on the way. Look at verse 7. In our parable, it says the king was enraged and he sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and set their city on fire. You will not dishonor my son, the king thought. And in Matthew 3.17, the father said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased Yet, like through the, throughout the centuries leading up to that point, and like in the parable, Jesus is speaking to the chief priests and elders and Pharisees. They, they refused to honor the king, they refused to honor his son. Turn back to uh, turn forward a, a page and look again in the same context down at Matthew 23 38. Jesus says to them, Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. Look down three verses below that even. Jesus in Matthew 24, 2 says, As they gazed at the temple, do you not see all these things? Jesus says, Truly I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another that which will not be torn down. The king was enraged. And he sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and set their city on fire. Judgment was coming, just as prophesied by all the messengers, all the servants. And in AD 70, that same generation saw exactly that happen, just as he said it would, just as the parable depicted it would. In fact, regarding our parable, referring to Back to our parable in Matthew 22, seven, the Moody commentary agrees and says, In his rage, the king set their city on fire, prophetic of what happened to Jerusalem in AD 70. The once-for-all sacrifice, the one sacrifice that would be sufficient for all time, for all sin, was standing in the old covenant temple, ushering in the prophesied new covenant of his own blood on the cross. The temple and the whole system associated with it that had become corrupt through the terrible leadership of the leaders associated with the nation wasn't going to be necessary anymore. Because that age was coming to an end. The true temple had come now and after he, the true temple, was raised three days later, a whole new age would begin. Back to our parable, verse 8, after the king sent his armies to destroy those murderers and set the city on fire. Jesus says of the king, Then he said to his slaves, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main highways, and as many as you find there, invite them to the wedding feast. Not merely those who were on the original list, But now, in addition to them, as many as you find out there, invite them all from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Go into all the world. Invite everybody. Gather all who will come. Invite them to the wedding feast. Bring them into the fellowship of the kingdom. From Romans 9, Paul recalls Hosea looking forward to these other gifts. The the other guests at the feast saying, I will call those who were not my people, my people. And who was not beloved, beloved. And it shall be in that place where it was said to them, you are not my people. There they shall be called sons of the living God. Gentiles too have access to the gospel, not just Jews. People from the whole world, remember God promised Abraham in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Hold on a second here. Does, does this mean that, or does this imply that God re- has rejected his people? No way. The Apostle Paul, a Pharisee, got saved, didn't he? So God hasn't rejected his people. Listen to what he says in Romans 11. He says God has not rejected his people who he foreknew or his people who he set his love upon before the foundation of the world. Or do you not know th- what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah? How he pleads with God against Israel. Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have torn down your altars. And I alone am left and they are seeking my life. Elijah was thinking he's the last person. He's it. But what is the divine response to him? I ha- God said, I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. In the same way, there is also come to be at the present time a remnant according to God's gracious choice. Amen. Praise the Lord for that. Because Amen. you know what? Because the king's son will be honored. It will happen. Either through judgment through salvation. We we've seen a bit of the judgment. Let's see the salvation. Look back at our parable. The slaves were obedient slaves. They they went out and gathered and gathered. Look at verse 10. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered together all they found. Both evil and good, and the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. That place was packed with people. The son will be honored. Think about these other people for a second. People filling this wedding hall. People like us from Hayden or Coeur d'Alene. Can can you imagine you're just walking down the street in your sweatpants, walking your dog? And someone says, hey, why don't you jump in the car? We're headed to the White House for a great dinner. (laughs) You were just seconds ago relaxed and fine. And in a split second, you realize you're grossly underdressed. You don't have the right clothes on to go to the White House. In fact, I was talking to Michelle, our office manager here this week, and and she said when she was a youth worker at Kokolala Bible Camp, at the end of camp one year, her grandma, she wanted to bless all the kids with a special treat. And so she picked them up. They were still dressed in their camp T-shirts and their cutoffs. They... They thought they were going to go out for shakes and burgers in downtown Coeur d'Alene. And she got really alarmed the closer and closer they got to the top floor of the resort. Her grandma took them to Beverly's in t shirts and cutoffs. And she says she can still feel how uncomfortable she felt and how underdressed she was in her reaction in that weird situation. How many of you, when you came to Christ, ah, that precious moment. How many of you had an experience where you realized you were underdressed? I'm not talking about T-shirts and cutoffs. The conviction ministry of the Holy Spirit, this conviction of sin in your life, was so great that you couldn't Rest until you put on Christ. You were facing judgment or salvation, and your garments were stained with sin, and you knew it. You were facing destruction, and you cried out to the Lord, and he saved you. You ran to him for shelter from the wrath of God, and he was kind to rescue you. You put on Christ the right attire, and you came to the wedding feast, that place of fellowship with God. The clothing in our parable in Matthew 22 is like that as well. The guests were invited from everywhere. The king knew they wouldn't have the right clothes on. He, he himself would have to provide clothing that honored the son, and so he himself would adorn the guests with acceptable outfits so as not to suffer his wrathful judgment for dishonoring his son. Look back at 11 and 12. Jesus says, But when the king came in to look over the dinner guests, he, he saw a man there who was not dressed in wedding clothes. And he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And The man was speechless. Everyone else was dressed in wedding clothes. They weren't singled out. But the king came up to the one who didn't have the wedding clothes on. And he asked, how did you get in here? What are you doing here? Yet this guy, also unprepared, would have had to refuse the king's offer because he felt he was fine with what he was wearing. I'm just fine. In Romans 10, verses 1 through 3, the apostle Paul says regarding his fellow Hebrews, he says, brethren... My heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. They refused to put on Christ. This man in the parable had a zeal for God in a sense. He showed up to the feast, but he was seeking to establish a righteousness of his own. From the outside, we would even look at him and we would say, man, that guy looks like a guy that should be at the wedding feast. But it turns out that he was grossly underdressed. In his heart, he was saying, you know what, I'm just going to wear what I want to wear, where I want to wear it. And I'll do that right here. This is a rebellious refusal to be associated with the king's son. The leaders of Israel were acting this out in real life. And that's why Jesus was talking to them. You might remember from a different perspective. From John 10, the parable of the good shepherd. Jesus says, truly, Truly I say to you he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep but climbs up some other way he is a thief and a robber In our in our parable here in Matthew 22 the king was so gracious to offer wedding clothes to this man so gracious Yet he refused that gracious offer. He was climbing up some other way, seeking to establish a righteousness of his own. Back to Romans 9, verse 32, Paul is answering why the Jews didn't put on the king's wedding garments. He he answers the question, he says, because they did not pursue it by faith. But as though it were by works, they stumbled over the stumbling stone, just as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. The whole nation was crawling up some other way. Jesus is the way. Amen? Amen. Amen. What's going to happen to this guy who tried to get in improperly dressed, so to speak? It was like he was at Beverly's in a t-shirt and some cutoffs. Or he was freezing to death in a bridge down at Pocatello, Idaho with dress socks. And everybody else had a puffer jacket. He was at the king's son's wedding feast, standing on his own good merits. And no one will be justified by the works of the law. Because only the king's son will be honored. This is his kingdom. Look at verses 13 and 14. And the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot, throw him into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called But few were chosen. These verses must have been a stark warning for everyone else standing in the temple listening to Jesus' conversation with the leaders. This is directly in the face of those chief priests and elders and Pharisees who assumed that God owed them something, yet they're sitting there in the wedding feast without wedding garments, refusing proper clothing. They were people who sit in places of honor at banquets and they sat in the best places in the synagogues and they loved being greeted in front of everyone and and to be called rabbi and honored by men. Self-exalting, independent, self-made men who thought that they could see, but in reality they were blind. Is it possible that that describes you this morning? Wouldn't you want to know that? Isn't that the most important question that you could ever ask yourself? This man, his garments were stained by nature of his birth as a son of Adam, yet to to honor the son at his feast, he needed garments that were spotless. He needed garments that were cleansed with blood. This man, he needed a new birth. He needed a regeneration where his deadness is brought to life. It it turns out he needed help. Though he wouldn't have agreed. He would have thought you would have been crazy to tell him he needed to change his clothes. By the way, how could it be that his simply being A member of the nation didn't merit his acceptance at the wedding feast. Wasn't he a citizen of the kingdom? Didn't God call the whole nation when he rescued them from Pharaoh? Many called. Didn't God put the nation under the covenant of the law? And you and I know that, that this law was the schoolmaster pointing to Christ, yet by nature the man in this parable exemplifying all those who have their own plan of personal acceptance and right standing before God. Certainly Israel's rebellious, unbelieving leaders and all others they lead into outer darkness. Instead of coming to Christ, they stumbled over Christ. They refused to put on the festal clothing, dead in trespasses and sins. How can someone like this get saved? Again, from verse 14, Jesus explains why this man ended up being bound hand and foot and thrown into outer darkness. Jesus says, for many are called, but few were chosen. Can you... Imagine the anger that would well up in your heart if you were a leader of Israel and you heard that. Again from Romans 9, God says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. Because salvation belongs to the Lord, the king's son will be honored. And all who call on his great name will be saved. All who refuse his festal clothing will be cast out. There will be weeping, unending grief, and gnashing of teeth, deep hatred toward the son. Again, from Romans 9, Isaiah cries out concerning Israel. He says, Though the number of the sons of Israel be like the sand of the sea, it is the remnant that will be saved. For the Lord will execute his word on the earth thoroughly and quickly. And just as Isaiah foretold, unless the Lord of the Sabbath had left us a posterity, we would have been come like Sodom and would have resembled Gomorrah. Unless the Lord took action to elect some to salvation, to bring some out of the deadness of Adam, the whole nation would have been destroyed under the wrath of God, just like Sodom and Gomorrah. Many are called, but few are chosen, Jesus says. Let's remember the reality of Romans 9, 6 through 8. It says, for they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel. Nor are they all children because they are Adam's or Abraham's descendants, but through Isaac your descendants will be named. That is, it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of promise are regarded as descendants. The whole nation of Israel was called out of slavery, but few of them are actually chosen, meaning elect or favored, those who God has set his love upon from eternity past. Saved out of the just penalty of unbelief for refusing the Son. Vessels of mercy, Paul says in Romans 9, prepared for, by God for glory. The true Israel of God in Christ throughout all history, coming into the feast by grace through faith, giving full honor to the Son. The chief priests and elders listening to Jesus in this parable were scandalized By this truth. They wanted to kill him. Are you kidding me? They're thinking in their hearts. Prophet after prophet. Messenger after messenger. Warning of this judgment. In reality Matthew 2 shows. This national calling pointing to. Being truly fulfilled in Christ. Listen to Matthew 2.15. When Jesus was still in Egypt. With his mom and dad. He remained there. Until the death of Herod, this was to fill uh, what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Out of Egypt I called my son, as Matthew says, was fulfilled in Christ. And those now in Christ, those who have been saved out of Adam and those who have put on Christ are clothed rightly in the king's provided wedding feast clothing. This wedding feast parable in Matthew 22 pictures the kingdom of God and the king himself supplies the appropriate garments. And and those who refuse his garments, like we have seen, will be cast out, cast out into outer darkness. Yet in John 6, verse 37, Jesus sums up this whole parable. Listen to what he says. He says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I certainly will not cast out. Whose garments do you have on this morning? Your own? Have you tried to come in with your own favorite clothes on? The the clothing you think would be best. Because you can see from our passage this morning if that's the case like the chief priests and the Pharisees. If you're found at this party without the provided wedding clothes you will be left speechless. Because you won't have a strong and perfect plea. And you will be thrown out of the party. The king himself will command that you will be bound in hand and foot and cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and an eternity of inconsolable grief and never-ending torment. And your response will be an eternity of rebellious, never-settled hatred and anger toward the king himself. Don't let that be you. This morning before this looming Judgment takes place. Won't you humble yourself? Won't you finally put on Christ today? Won't you repent and believe the gospel? Won't you ask for forgiveness for your sins and put on Jesus Christ? Exchange your sinful life for his perfect life? Wouldn't that be the prudent thing to do? Isn't that the best offer of all eternity? His son suffered the shame of the cross. He was killed. He was buried. Three days later, he was raised from the dead, overcoming even death, deserving of all glory and honor. The son offers his own festal clothing in place of your garment stained with sin. As Paul says in Galatians 3.27, all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. The king, in our parable, he commands that you repent this morning and trust in the great cleansing blood of Jesus. Those clothed in Christ have the garments required for the great feast. He provides clothing that makes you accepted forever before before the king. Are you clothed with Christ this morning? Are your garments spotless? Are you dressed appropriately? For those of us made worthy by the blood of Christ, those of us made citizens of the kingdom of heaven by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Those of us on whom God has placed his mercy. It turns out that we have a communion with our great king, don't we? Amen. He calls us this morning to proclaim his victorious life-giving death until He returns. Our King will return and we'll see Him. Having heard of this great feast in our passage this morning, those of us clothed in Christ, the called and chosen ones, the ones He effectually called and brought to life, we have We have a reason to be grateful because we have a seat at the greatest table in all of creation. We actually have a place at the very bosom of the king himself. He died for us even while we were yet sinners. And he brought us into a fellowship, a koinonia with himself, and now we have communion with him. Of course, before we come to his table this morning, each of us needs to examine ourselves. The scripture tells us to do that. We want to eat and drink this communion in a worthy manner. By the way, again, if you haven't received a cup, please raise your hand and we'll bring one to you. Let's bow our head for a few moments, just humbling ourselves before the Lord and bring any unconfessed sin to him for cleansing. Because our Savior Jesus, the King, the Son who is honored, loves to cleanse sinners of their sins. Let's bow. Gracious Father, Lord, we are so thankful for the clothing you've provided us in Christ. The garments, spotless now. Lord, we're grateful to be brought in through him into fellowship. All glory and honor to his great name today, Lord. Amen. Let's take up this piece of bread. <clears throat> in 1 Corinthians 11:23, 23, the Apostle Paul recalls to us, he says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered from to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night which he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now let's take the cup. In the same way, Jesus took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. He says, for as often as you drink or eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father in heaven, we're grateful for the precious treasure of your word, and we thank you for the communion we have in Christ. We thank you that we're clothed in festal clothing, invited into this great feast. Lord, thank you that you saved us even when we we didn't even agree that we needed saved. Lord, thank you that you're faithful. Thank you that the King's Son is honored. In Jesus' name, amen.